Yes, it's great to uh, be here with you all today. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Haggai. So today we're going to be preaching out of Haggai in chapter 1, looking at verses 7 through 11. So Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 7. If you want to follow along on the screen, it'll be there as well. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. This is the word of the Lord before considering it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here today and worship with one another. Lord, to hear your word read to us, to hear it preached. Father, we pray that we would learn today from your word more about who you are, more about who we are, and what it is that you are calling us to. Father, we pray that you would be with us today, that you would open our eyes, open our ears and our hearts to the truth of your word, that we would not merely just hear it, but Lord, that our lives would be conformed unto it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're here at the end of January. So we're coming to the close of January, but it's a new year. It's 2023. I've still not gotten used to writing that whenever I write the date and I always have to make my two turn into a three by adding a little hook at the end. But one of the things that I love about New Year's is I personally love New Year's resolutions. I love the idea of a, a fresh start, beginning something new, getting to set some goals for the year. However, I'm terrible at them. My New Year's resolutions for this year, I've already begun to kind of slack off on the things that I was hoping to see uh, happen in my life this year. And so I think that's a common thing. I think we start them every new year, and the reason that we start them is because the year before we didn't do it. Um, and that's why they're, they're New Year's resolutions. We get to think of something new to do, but they can be discouraging. It can be hard to have these goals and these ambitions, these plans that you want to see come into fruition in your life, and then to fail in your pursuit of them. But I, I believe that's how the Christian faith feels a lot. You get to come to church every week. You get to hear the word preached. You get to see some area of your life that you need to grow in, something that you need to change in. And you generally leave kind of excited, kind of on fire for that. But when you go home and you go throughout your week, a lot of times we fail. And so week after week, it can become discouraging to come here and to hear um, the things that the Lord calls us to in his word and to not really see growth in those things. Because the truth is that I, myself, and that everyone in here, we, we are tainted by sin. Sin comes into our lives and we fall short of what it is that God has called us to. Well, this isn't just true for us. This is true for the Apostle Paul as well. In Romans 7, starting in verse 21, he says this. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So even Paul, the apostle, a man whom God tasked with writing much of the New Testament, 
He himself felt this discouragement. He felt this indwelling sin coming out in his life and seeing himself not do the things that he wanted to do. Well, this was true for the ancient Israelites as well. Here in this passage that we read, really what is happening is God is calling the Israelites to repentance. And so today we're going to talk about this topic of repentance. And my hope is that you will see that it's not just something that happens at the beginning of our Christian faith, but it's something that we do daily. It's the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. And so if you're a note taker, uh, you have this in your bulletin, but the four things that I want us to really see is first that repentance recognizes sin. Second is that repentance requires action. Third is that repentance results in fullness of life. And fourth, that repentance rises from and rests in the gospel. And so repentance recognizes sin, it requires action, it results in fullness of life, and that it rises from and rests in the gospel. And so the first point, repentance recognizes sin. I want us to look at verse 7 here. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So a little context of what's going on in Haggai. The Israelites have come back from exile They'd been there many years, and they were coming back to rebuild the temple of the Lord. So he's writing to the people of Jerusalem who have come back with this task of rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed in 586 B.C. And yet in these first six verses uh, that came prior to this, we see that the Israelites have not done this. It's been 16 years since their return when they were able to build the foundation of the temple, and there was this great celebration. They were excited for this, to be back in their land, to rebuild the temple, the place where God would dwell among them. And yet, 16 years later, they still haven't done it. And so the Lord has called them to consider their ways. Here in verse 7, this is a repetition of what the Lord had called them to do earlier in verse 5, when he tells them, consider your ways. So this is the same sermon a second time. So clearly something in these Israelites wasn't happening. They had heard Haggai say this to them, and yet the Lord comes to them again and tells them to consider their ways. You see, the Lord says that the reason that these Israelites had not been building the temple was not because of persecution. It wasn't because they didn't have resources, but it was because they were busying themselves with their own paneled houses. The word that they use here in Haggai is the same word used to describe the Lord's house when Solomon constructed it the first time. These weren't merely places to find a little shelter, but they were building these luxurious homes. And what I believe this is getting at is that these Israelites were too focused on the things of this world to really care about the Lord's house. They were worried about building their own homes, building their own lives, finding comfort and security in this world, instead of looking to God to be the one to provide those things. And so the Lord of hosts tells them to consider their ways. My students uh, at Tennessee Tech all happen to be very big fans of Taylor Swift. And so Taylor Swift's come out with a new album, and she opens this album with a line that's become pretty popular, pretty talked about. Um, and she says this. She says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. In order for us to walk in repentance, there, there's an underlying presumption there. It's that we recognize our sin, that we see 
that at times, like the Israelites, we are too focused on building our own houses here in this world and we're not focused on the things of God. That we allow our hearts to be the driving factor behind what we do, what we think, and what we say. Yet here the Lord is telling them to consider this. So if we're going to walk in true repentance, we must reflect upon our lives. We must, must think about what it is that we're doing what are the things that are driving us, that are getting us up in the morning? Why do we do the things that we do? And as we do that, we will see that more often than not, it's not for the glory and the pleasure of God. Rather, it's to build our own houses. It's our own concerns, our own purposes, instead of the, God, instead of the Lord's purposes. And so repentance recognizes sin. Second, repentance requires action. So God just doesn't call the Israelites to consider their ways, but he gives them directives here. The first half of verse 8 says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. So what God does is he tells these Israelites, this is what you're to do. This is what I am calling you to, to build the house. And it's, it's simple. Go up on the hill, cut down some trees, bring some wood, and build my house. The Lord's commands are simple, but they're not always easy. I'm sure there's labor and there's some hardships and there's some sacrifice that's going to be involved in that. Likewise, what the Lord is not calling us to do is to go cut down trees and build a physical house. But Jesus has said, if you are to follow me, then you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Following the Lord is simple, but it's not easy. We have God's revealed word here in the scriptures where he tells us what he's calling us to do. And there's times where we have to use wisdom that it's not as clear as black and white what it is he's calling us to. But repentance requires action. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been sitting in church during a sermon or perhaps just reading your Bible at home or part of a Bible study and the particular thing you're reading, you realize, hey, I'm, I'm very weak in this area. You read about something and you suddenly feel this sense of guilt or this sense of conviction and you say, man, I need to do better. I am not doing what the Lord is calling me to in this area of my life. And you feel that, but when you walk out of there, when you leave, that's where it ends. Merely, merely what you do is feel a sense of shame. You recognize your sin, but you do nothing about it. And that's why repentance requires action. Repentance isn't just a recognition of sin or remorse for sin or a hatred for sin, but it's turning from that sin to Christ. And so if we are to walk in true repentance, we must turn from our sin to Christ. God is telling the Israelites here, stop building your houses. Stop what you're doing. Turn from that. Go up on the hill. Get the wood and build my house. Likewise, he calls us, turn from these things that distract you and pull you away from me and come to me, follow me. And so if we were to walk in true repentance, we must turn from our sin to Christ. Third is that repentance results in fullness of life. And so the second half of verse eight there, the Lord says this. He says, build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You see, the Lord gives Two motivations for the Israelites to listen to him. He's told them to consider their ways. He's told them what they're to do. And now he gives them two motivations. He says, first, that he would take pleasure in it. 
We're always living to please someone, whether it's ourselves, whether it's those around us. These things influence what we do and what we say. But here God says, here's one that really matters, that you live and you act before, truly before an audience of one. I will take pleasure in this. When we do good things, when we do what the Lord is calling us to, he says that he takes pleasure in this, that the God who created us, the God who we have rebelled against and sinned against could take pleasure in us. The Bible says, what is man, God, that you take notice of him? God notices us and sees us and he cares about what we do, but not only that, he takes pleasure in that which is good. Paul says, whether we're home or we're away, whatever we're doing, we do so to please the Lord. As Christians, this should be our aim, that he's the one that should ultimately that we should ultimately be living to please. And then second, he says that I may be glorified. You see, God created man and, women, man and woman in his image to reflect him upon earth, to be a representation of him here in the garden, and yet man has sinned. God created us for so much more than we know. God has created us to glorify him, and yet we fall short of this. But he says it's not over yet. You can still live in light of your purpose. You know, things have a purpose. If, if I took my toothbrush out in the yard and I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut the grass this way, it, would, it wouldn't go well. It wouldn't go well for the toothbrush. My yard wouldn't get trimmed. Things would seem chaotic and nothing really worthwhile would happen. Likewise, God has created us for a purpose. It's to glorify him. And so we can live in light of this purpose when we do this. God has a bigger plan for us than we have for ourselves. He wants us to glorify him. And he calls the Israelites to this. And you would think that these two motivations would be enough. That, hey, I, I take pleasure in this and I am glorified by it. But it's not. And so the Lord continues. He says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on all the land and hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors." What the Lord is trying to show them is that the things that they're looking to, to satisfy, the things that they are thinking are more important than the Lord, will never truly satisfy them. That, that it can't bring fullness of life, and in His grace, He won't allow it to. Israelites experiencing some, the Israelites are experiencing hardship here. This is a land that is very dependent upon dew for produce. Um, it's very dependent upon the things that are here, and the Lord says, you're looking to these things to bring about this fullness of life, to satisfy you. These are the things that you're putting all of your stake in, and how's that going? It's not going well at all. They're not producing what, you're, what the Israelites are looking for them to produce. And so this third part here, repentance results in fullness of life. What God wants for these Israelites, what God wants for each of you here is more than you want for yourself. He says, I don't want you merely to be satisfied within the creation. I want it to be a finger that points back to the creator. That what you're looking for 
in this land, what you're looking for in building your own paneled houses is security, it's comfort, it's pleasure. It's good things, it's good desires, it's things that we should want, but what he's saying is this is not where you find it. You'll find it in me. That if you actually want to experience fullness of life, if you want to be able to enjoy the things of this world, then you must be geared towards me. That it must come out of your love for me. You must first be satisfied in me before these things can fulfill their purpose. I see this a lot in my marriage. Um, I believe that one of the hardest things about marriage, one of the hardest things about dating, or even just relationships in general, is looking to people to be something that they're not. It's to look to your wife or your husband and expect them to satisfy your every heart's desire. And that's why today we hear statements like, well, I don't think that I've found the right one. I don't think that she's the right one or that he's the right one. But when you get to the root of that, it's because what these people can't do is satisfy us. That as images or people created in the image of God, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart and only God can satisfy that. But whenever I look to God first, whenever I'm allowed to look to God and, and see him as my satisfaction and joy, then I can enjoy my wife. We can enjoy other people for who they are. And so repentance results in fullness of life. Here's this quote from C.S. Lewis that I think uh, just greatly illustrates this truth. It's found in your bulletin as well. It says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with the drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, the creation, the things of this world were never meant to satisfy us. They were never meant to bring us fullness of life, but their fingers pointing back to the one who can. It says all creation testifies to God's glory, to his grandness, his greatness. And God offers himself to us in Jesus. Another minor prophet uh, that speaks to this is in Amos 4. There's a very similar passage. It's long. I won't read all of the, all of the verses. But God says this. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. He continues on and says, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. We see here that God's withholding of these things, withholding of the dew, the drought that's happening in this land. It's a call for his people to return to him. It's a call to repentance. He's saying, quit looking to these things to satisfy you, to bring about joy, and look to me. And so in God's great grace, he withholds these things. Perhaps you're in a season of life now where nothing seems to be going your way. That perhaps you're having a hard time paying bills, or if you're a student or a child, perhaps in school, grades are going hard, or you're, you're stressed about making your school's basketball team or, or being the first chair in band, whatever it may be. And you're wondering why, why is this happening to me? Well, perhaps it's the Lord calling you back to him. Perhaps he's saying, hey, you're, you're looking to find your joy in something that will never deliver, look to me. And then perhaps those things may happen. Perhaps good things are going on in your life. But when we see these struggles and these hardships, when we're anxious and nervous, God is saying, return to me. You don't wanna get to the end of that 
and be like those who Amos wrote to, where the Lord says, but you did not return to me, you did not turn to me. God is asking you to cast your cares upon him, your problems, to come to him in prayer because he cares. And so if we were to walk in true repentance, we must believe that fullness of life is not found in the things of this world, but is found in Christ. What we see throughout scripture is that God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. As C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily pleased. And perhaps you've heard all of this and sort of like a New Year's resolution, what you've decided is like, okay, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna try really, really hard. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back, I'm gonna reflect upon my life. I'm gonna try to find what sins are in my life or which areas I'm not seeking the Lord and then I'm going to seek him really hard. But that's not what scripture calls us to merely If we're going to walk in true repentance, it must be rooted in the gospel. It must rise from and rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Earlier I read from Romans 7, where Paul ends his statement saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? On the next verse he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 8 continues with this beautiful picture of what the gospel is and how the gospel affects us. What God isn't calling us to is to look deep within ourselves and to try really, really hard. But through Jesus Christ, through faith and through the gospel, God has created a way that we can actually walk in repentance and we can see victory over sin in our lives. Chapter eight of Romans, verse 11 says this. It says, if the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That through Jesus, now the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave now dwells within you. One of the beautiful things about the gospels is not merely that we're saved from the punishment of sin, but that Christ saves us from the power of sin. It says that we receive a new heart. Before Christ, we're slaves to sin. All we can do is sin And yet, in Christ, it says we're free from this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And continually throughout the book of Haggai, what we see is the the use of the name Lord in all capital letters. This is God's covenant name. This is Yahweh. This is him speaking to his people who he has called to himself. And so what God is calling the Israelites here must be Rest, must rest in and must rise from the truth about his nature, about his grace and his goodness. The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that there's no, there's no ultimate failure. Today, if you go home and you recognize sin in your life, God, God understands that that will happen. He has provided a way that we can now repent. We can now recognize that sin. We can turn from that sin to Christ, but it must rest in God's grace. We must rest in the power of his spirit who dwells in us, of his goodness that comes to us. Uh, Timothy Keller once said this great quote. He says, the gospel is that we work from an identity, not for an identity. Repentance is not a thing where daily we, we seek to do this in order to earn God's favor, but we've been given God's favor in Christ. When God looks upon a Christian, it's as though he's looking upon his son in whom he was well pleased, that Christ bore our sin, and in that we get to bear Christ's righteousness. And so if we're to walk in true repentance, 
it must be rooted in this truth. It must be rooted in God's grace and mercy. If we're going to truly start seeing victory over sin, then it must be through, through God. We must look to him to provide this. There's a quote from a man named Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, that I think is a wonderful illustration to repentance. It says, The movie A Beautiful Mind is about the brilliant mathematician John Nash, who despite his schizophrenia won the Nobel Prize in 1994 for his original contribution to mathematics. John inhabits a world that doesn't actually exist. His closest friend, his friend's lovely niece, the CIA director who employs him in dangerous and clandestine operations, all are figments of his broken mind. When John is first diagnosed with the disease, he is treated with medication. This banishes his delusions, but also stifles his personality. He becomes a hollow man, a mechanism. Gradually, through his wife's immense patience, fortitude, and sacrifice, John learns to live with his disease untreated, except for one thing. He disciplines himself to no longer heed the people and the voices that his mind invents. Though even in his old age they appear to him as real as himself, flesh and blood people, with histories and personalities and needs and expectations, clamoring for his attention and affection and obedience, he refuses to listen to them. He defies them, he ignores them, he walks past them. He changes his mind. It's not a bad image for repentance. The voices that once held sway over us that loomed so large and boomed so loud that they defined reality, we now defy or ignore. We pay them heed no longer, though they try with all their might to resume their former dominance. We keep walking past them and we change our minds. So this man, John Nash, these people who he saw, these voices that he heard, felt just as real to him as each of you feel to me today standing in here. And that's often how temptation feels. It feels real. We feel as though there's no other way that, you know what, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I'm going to succumb to this. And that's where our repentance must rise from and rest in the gospel. Truth is that Christ has given, him, given us his spirit, the same one that raised him from the dead, that we can now walk in the ways that please the Lord and walk in a way that glorifies the Lord. But when we fail, we must also remember the gospel for this reason, that our standing before God is not one because of our obedience. It's not because we have great theology or great attendance or because we serve a lot in the church, but it's one because in God's great grace and his great mercy, he decided to save a people to himself. That our standing with God is not something that we work for, but it's something that we work from. And so as we think of what it means to apply this text. What, how, so what do I do with this? I think there's three main things that we can see. I think first is that we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. And this can come in a variety of ways. It comes from showing up here today. This is a, this is a good start to that. Reminding yourself of the gospel. Reminding yourself of the goodness of what Jesus has done. That although our sins are many, that his mercy is more. It can also come from speaking with one another. God has not just saved us individually, but he's given us a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who each here are struggling in different ways, who each here need to be reminded of the gospel, and we can remind one another. It's beautiful that when someone comes to us who's hurting, who's struggling, whose life is hard, that we actually have something to say that can make a difference. 
We don't merely have to say, oh, I'm sorry, that's terrible. But we can pray for them. We can share with them that despite these things that are going on, that in Christ, that they are beloved children of God, that he takes pleasure in them, that he loves them. And then it can also come from sharing the gospel with others. Those who don't know Christ, being able to speak to those who have questions that perhaps you haven't asked yourself in a long time. We can very often become indifferent towards the gospel. I remember when I first became a Christian, suddenly I was, I was just on fire. Everything was new to me. Everything was awesome. As I was learning more about God's word and more about the gospel, I was so excited. And yet I've had seasons since then where I feel myself just looking like, well, I just need some new information. And the truth is what I need to do is go back to the things that I'd learned before, the gospel, the essential message of the Christian faith, and remind myself of that over and over again. The gospel is not just the entry point into the Christian faith. It's the A to Z. We continue in the gospel. It's the thing that undergirds all that we do. And so first, we want to remind ourselves of the gospel. Second is that we want to reflect upon our lives. Earlier, I mentioned Taylor Swift, and at the end of 2022, my students all shared their uh, end-of-the-year wrapped from Spotify. So Spotify was showing them what they had listened to. And one thing that I learned is that it is possible for someone to have music playing 24-7. My students laughed at me because I, I totaled a, around 300 minutes, I think. I don't use Spotify. I do listen to music. But, uh, but the truth is we live in an age where we have tons of distractions. That oftentimes when we can find a moment of quiet and peace, what we do is we make ourselves anxious or stressed or we distract ourselves with entertainment by pulling up the news, getting on our phones, getting on our TVs, looking for something to do. I'm guilty of this. This morning on my ride in, I had a plan of what I was going to do and I ended up talking to my father about the entire ride. Uh, and finally, the last 20 minutes, I was like, hey, I need, I need to get off here. I need to think and to contemplate. We live in a busy age, in a distracted age, where it's hard to reflect upon our lives. It's hard to take time, and so we need to be intentional in that. We need to find times where we're willing to look at our life and consider our ways, as the Lord is saying. We don't want to be distracted all the time, but we want to sit, we want to look and say, hey, what is it that I'm doing? And not stop there, but say, why am I doing that? Is it because I'm working hard to build the house of the Lord, or is it because I'm building my own house? And so the second point is we want to reflect upon our lives. And then our third is that we want to return to God and rest in his love. As we do that, we will, we will feel the tendency to be discouraged. As we reflect upon our lives, we will truly start to see that we are sinful and that we are in need of God's grace. But the beautiful thing is that God has offered it to us in Christ. We need to return to the Lord, turn away from those things that have hold on us, be reminded that the Holy Spirit now dwells within us that now we actually have power to experience um, freedom from sin, to actually do these things that are pleasing and glorifying to the Lord, that we're no longer slaves to sin. So we return to the Lord and we rest in his love. We're reminded that even on our worst days, that in Christ, that God looks upon us as his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And then we work and we live out of that. And so this passage here is a call for these Israelites to repent. And in the next section, you may have a heading in your Bible that says, the people obey the Lord. What we do is we see that Israel does repent, that they do construct the house of the Lord, that they do the things that God has called them from. But this isn't the end of their story. 
As we read throughout the scriptures, we will see again time and time failure on behalf of the people of God. But God is calling them to repentance. He's calling us now. This is going to be true for our life. This week, as you experience sin, we, you need to hate that sin. You need to feel remorse for that sin, but don't stop there. Don't just recognize your sin, but turn from that sin to Christ. Repentance re- recognizes sin, but it requires action. But repentance results in fullness of life, and that is where true joy is to be found. This doesn't mean that, that suddenly... Uh, if anyone here is a farmer, that suddenly your, your farm will be producing lots of crops. It doesn't mean that you'll get that promotion at work or you'll make the basketball team or that you'll get good grades in school, whatever it is that you're looking for. But what God is saying that in me, there's so much more to be found than in that. That in Christ, we can actually experience fullness of life and live as God designed us and created us to do. But all this has to be rooted in the gospel. We have to trust and God's grace and mercy from this. We have to be reminded of who we are in Christ, what it is that he has accomplished on our behalf, and then we must work from that truth. Let me pray. Father, the truth is, is that we all fall short of your glory. God, that even today as we go from here, many, if not all of us, will fall short of the standard that you have called us to. But Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged that the Bible presumes this, that it knows that we're sinful, that the gospel isn't good news to the righteous, but to those who are sick, to the sinner, Lord. And I pray that as we go from here, that we would find our righteousness not in our own works, but in the work of Christ. And Lord, that we'd be able to live in light of that, that we would take time to be reminded of that glorious truth, that we would take time to reflect upon our lives, to see what it is and why it is that we're doing it. And Lord, that I pray that as we do these things, as we turn towards you, Lord, that we would find our all in you, that we would know that in Christ there's more riches to be found than the world could ever offer. And Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.